Hi, I'm Amanda Pashuko. This is She Love. Hello, it's Davida. I'm Gina Lovato. Hey, it's Anna Dunn. I'm Caitlin Bailey. This is Melissa Novak. It's Sean Jacobson. Hey, it's Bethany Nicole. Welcome to Sex Party. And welcome to Sex Party. Welcome to Sex Party. Welcome to Sex Party. Welcome to Sex Party. <laughs> Sex Party with your host, Dustin Ripka. Hello and welcome to Sex Party. I'm your host, Dustin Ribka. With me on the show this week is friend of the show, Gwen Walsh. Gwen is back. For those of you who don't know, Gwen is a sex educator, a professional witch, and a tarot reader. Gwen and I, mainly Gwen, are going to break down the infamous Salem witch trials. Uh, were witches really transforming themselves into ghosts, flying into the bedrooms of all the village men, and jerking them off at night were strange women from the woods enchanting all of the teenage girls in the town of Salem. Uh, how many people were accused of being witches? How many people were put to death? Were they really burned at the stake? Were they hung? Um, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna give you all these answers, and it's gonna be fascinating. Uh, at the end of the interview, there is a bit of a cliffhanger, which is, which is kind of crazy. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Gwen Walsh. This week's conversation. conversation. Gwen Walsh, my friend, welcome back to Sex Party. How are you doing? I'm well, Dustin. Thank you for having me. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's been a bit, actually, it's been almost a year since you've been on the show. You were on the Halloween special last year. Uh, this time you're back for another full episode, which is nice. Um, and, you know, I think for the people who maybe they're newbies, maybe they're, they're, they're new to the party. Uh, can you talk a little bit about who you are and what you do uh, for their sake? So they're aware. Sure. So I am a sex educator and a tarot reader. I'm also essentially a professional witch. I offer like sexuality and spirituality consultations and courses to my students. And I'm also a researcher in the sexuality space. I'm a grad student at Columbia University in New York, and I'm also in a research lab there. So a lot going on. Um, I heard a rumor you may have started a podcast Oh, yeah, I did. I don't have a whole lot of time for it because I have so much going on between school and work, but I try to get to it when I can, because as you can tell, I love to talk. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you're the perfect person to have a podcast who is a sex educator, a tarot reader, a professional witch, right? I think a lot of people are interested in the sexual, sensual spiritual aspects of of all of that right um but like it doesn't really get talked about a lot right so maybe for the first part of this this uh episode like what's the benefit of being uh in a sexual sensual department what's the benefit of being a witch or being spiritual so kind of the crux of everything in my opinion is self-intimacy like and based on psychological theorists and professionals in the field who have really studied this, um, knowing oneself and really understanding oneself is the major key to a life of peace and joy and fulfillment. And so sexuality, of course, is a very physically and often emotionally intimate aspect of life. And so is spirituality. These are two of the most 
personal aspects of life for many people. And so when we get to know ourselves within those spheres, independent of each other and together, it really helps us to know ourselves and to live a life in accordance with our own values and dreams and desires. Do you think um, that people just be like, you know, societally, culturally, they have been taught to separate sexual from spiritual or? Absolutely. Especially if you grew up in one of the Abrahamic religions, which is kind of the big three, if you will, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. Many of those, I was raised Roman Catholic, so I don't know as much about the other two, but at least in my experience growing up in the Roman Catholic church, it was very much emphasized to not have sex, to not think about it, to not ask about it. And that uh, discouragement of curiosity and education in that realm has a lot of negative physical and mental health outcomes, as opposed to areas like in Europe where sex education is more comprehensive and more openly discussed. Yeah. And like when you get to... When you get to things like being a witch, witchcraft, like uh, there, and we've talked about this uh, in your first appearance on the show, but there is just like a natural sexual vibe, I would say, to if you choose to like see it or feel it or or, or whatever that I think there isn't in other um, spiritual practices. I think there's just maybe it's just me being a weirdo, but like I just feel like. Uh, there's something rebellious sexually to me about, about being a witch and and you are one, so you can comment on that. But I, I just think that, you know, there are, there are certain people that would paint witches as, and we've talked about this too, like the green face riding a broomstick. And then there's others like, no, it's kind of like, you know, the, uh, uh, the person who's in touch with their sexuality, like living in the woods to be away from all of the, 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 you know, the boring white people in the, in the village or or whatever. So, um, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think witchcraft and being a witch, right? Cause I don't, I never know if I'm saying it right. Um, has like a, a sexuality to it that, that other spiritual practices don't. I think it does by way of not actively discouraging sexuality. So witchcraft does not, it's so broad. There are witchcraft and pagan uh, spiritualities, practices, whatever you want to call it, all across the world, all across time. And there's not necessarily an emphasis on sexuality Of course, I can't speak to the entirety of paganism throughout space and time, but at least in what I experience and know about, which is more of a Western European paganism, there's not necessarily an emphasis on it, but it is seen as a part of life just like death and marriage and birth and all of these other aspects of the human experience. And so I think that because it is not actively discouraged, it is by nature seen as more encouraged. And when we think about sexuality mentioned like in stories about pagan gods, like the Morrigan, for example, um, or Freya, there are stories about those gods engaging in sex because gods are kind of seen in the pagan sense as 
reflections of the human experience in a way. Um, and when we think about that, when we see a story of a, like the Morrigan having her sexual tryst with the Dagda on Samhain, which is Halloween, people can often take that as, oh, the Morrigan had sex once in the lore, so she must be a sex goddess. She really doesn't have anything to do with sex, just like anyone in humanity. If some random person had sex once, that doesn't mean that they are a sex person or a sex worker, a sexuality professional. They're just a person that had sex. And so I think that that diametric opposition of paganism, perhaps encouraging folks to know themselves in the sexual sense and in general versus other religions that say, no, don't think about that. And especially don't think about sex. It makes sense that we would see the non-discouraging religions as encouraging. And on the same line, even when a religion is emphatically against sex, human beings kind of have this tendency to innately push back against stereotypes, which is why we see like, it is such a trope, like the sexy nun Halloween costume. If you go to a <laughs> Halloween party, how many sexy nuns are you going to see? Probably at least five, because it's such an obvious stereotype. And so even where the sex is not, it naturally is because we want to put it there. Yeah, that, that's what I mean by probably by like the rebellious mm -hmm. nature nature of that. And, you know, and a couple things I think, do you think that's why people make witches so terrifying because they're primarily women? Um, and it's like a whole thing where it's like, oh my God, women, sex, no, 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 put it down, uh, enchantment, potions, ah, like whatever, right? Because mm -hmm. we have like the Greek gods, you know, and we have the Roman orgies and we have all these things that are like, you know, they're, they're not practicing them, well, at least like in the streets anymore, but, but those weren't as scary as like any sort of thing that people make like anything to do with sex and women and witches out to be. So do you think it's like sort of, uh, yet another thing that we're like, oh God, women who want to have sex. Oh no, burn everyone. Like, is that, is that a thing? I mean, if we look back into, again, Salem being the roots of American culture is extreme Protestantism. Uh, Calvinism was specifically the religion in the time of the Salem witch trials. And it was very against any and all sort of indulgence and joy. Like if we think about the American work ethic, it comes from those religious roots. And so naturally, if we think about like ancient Roman deities seem a little bit further disparate from current day, if you will. <laughs> sure. But if we're aware that witches are around and they could be anyone, there is that kind of natural or organic concern or mistrust of the unknown. Anything that's unknown, anything that indicates someone having a certain level of power, control, knowledge of the self. If we look at all of the times in history, whether it's, you know, dictatorships or anything else, the emphasis has been on don't let people be individuals, don't allow them to question and know themselves because then they are less easy to control. And so witchcraft is this kind of 
poster child of an individual knowing themselves and having a locus of control over their own lives. And that is very scary to people who would rather maintain whatever the status quo is. Mm, yeah. See, this is this is why you're amazing and I love having you on because you you never at least I've never seen it. You never allow like your personal feelings to get in the way of like the facts, which is very rare. <laughs> it's very like um, you remind me of like a, a scientist in that way, where it's like, no, no, no I want to prove myself wrong, um, and and so that like really opens it up for people to listen to this, to watch this, and get so much great shit out of it, right? A little entertainment some history, some facts from you. So thank you for, for, you know, always staying true to that. And I think that everything you just said and everything I just said sets us up perfectly for like our main topic, right? Which is the Salem witch trials and sort of like how, how out of control and, and like, uh, repression and, um, paranoia sort of led to all of this, dark chaos um that we know as the as the salem witch trials so do you want to like take the wheel and sort of like set the stage and what year we're in and what's going on because i think just from the the minimal talks that we've had prior on this topic and like a little bit of research that i've done right like it's extremely interesting at that point in history um what was going on and why and everything was seemed pretty restrictive and repressed. Mm -hmm. So to start us off, I guess we'll start with the time and religious context. So the technical year of the Salem witch trials in New England was 1692. Um, the prominent religion was Calvinism. Sorry, at my partner's house right now. Oh, you're good, you're good. Big family, lots of dogs. <laughs> um, so the primary religion was Calvinism, which is this deterministic religion that essentially says before you are born, it is determined whether you are going to heaven or hell. And your entire life, you do not know which one you're destined for. And you have no way of knowing, no way of finding out. And you can't do anything about it. You can't change it. And so people would go through their lives believing that whatever their sentence was, was already done. They couldn't do anything about it. But for some reason, they felt like they had to act as if they knew they were going to heaven and they were like in good with God. And so everyone, everyone is like walking around, parading around, like I'm good. I'm like the, where the word comfortable came from was like comfortable with God. Like you were close, you were buddy, buddy, but nobody knew. Um, and that kind of gave way to this like extreme religious paranoia, especially being in this new world where like Salem in 1692 was not like the little shops and shit that we see nowadays. It was right. like forests and, and of course, like all of this wildness and the devil was thought to be everywhere and anywhere. And the devil could be tempting you at any time. Death could come for you at any time. And this life 
the current physical life meant basically nothing. The afterlife was everything. And that is why when all of these people were accused of being witches, which by and large, they were not, they chose to tell the truth and say, no, I'm not a witch. And they chose to die because they wouldn't admit to being a witch because for them, it maintained their relationship with God and a good afterlife to stay honest as opposed to save their lives, but be fucked in the afterlife. And so there was this weird inconsistency of like, it's already determined where, where you're going, but you have to try your absolute hardest to be good or pious and you can't mess anything up. It was a very strange climate. And I also want to note that New England witch trials were kind of diametrically opposite to England and UK witch trials in the sense that in England was the burning. So when people talk about burning in Salem, like, no, that's not, they hanged people in Salem. In England, I'm sure they, they hung people, hanged, um, but the burnings, or exactly, yeah. were more yeah. in Europe. And in Europe, if you admitted to being a witch, that gave the witch hunters, whoever, the green light to kill you. And so people would like, sleep deprive the accused, torture them, whatever, to get them to admit. And once they admitted, once they were tired enough of being tortured and sleep deprived and admitted, that was the license to kill. And in New England, if you didn't admit that you were a witch, you would be killed because they saw it as if you could admit your wrongdoing, if you could realize, oh yeah, I am a witch, I've been bad, I've sinned, then you were still capable of being saved. And so it kind of screwed people either way, because again, these people who really truly were not witches, there was no way they were going to lie and admit to the accusations that weren't true, because it would fuck them in the afterlife. Right. <clears throat> okay. So... Well, one, because um, I want to take everything smart you just said and dumb it down from for for, for myself. <laughs> I'm and, sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. This is what we do. We we want you to be smart and um and and well spoken and like, I mean, you set the state multiple stages, right? So now it's my job to like take that and make that um uh totally you know not not smart. No, I'm just kidding. Um, we're gonna just do like the 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 catch up to make sure we're all, everyone's on the same page before we turn it. So one, I want to ask you, was there any evidence at all in the Salem witch trials that there were any real witches or any, and any people practicing paganism or witchcraft? So there was, um, made up evidence and mm. there was, I want to preface this with like, this was the 1600s. So there's no iPhone videos of Tichuba practicing a hoodoo ritual or anything like that. And so we're kind of going off of what people said. Um, mm -hmm. Keep in mind that there was not really any fresh water back then. And so most people were drinking alcohol for their beverages. So there was that. There's a lot of um, 
I don't know how true this is, but some people have speculated that people were suffering ergot poisoning. I haven't necessarily seen any like specific evidence towards that, but it's always a possibility. So kind of prefacing all of this with sure there's evidence, but what's the quality of the evidence? Because Mm. the first person to be accused of witchcraft was Tichuba, who was a woman of color. And so seeing the Salem witch trials as a kind of social cleansing of anyone that the people in power didn't like, a woman of color who was a service worker at the time was probably on the list of people that were not liked if they spoke out or if they were in any way disobedient, whatever that means. Mm -hmm. And the other aspect was um, one of the major things was spectral evidence, which I think we wanted to talk about. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Totally. So, So spectral evidence is essentially the evidence that uh, usually a man would give a testimony that a woman, say, Sarah, goody Sarah within the town, came into his room at night as a specter or a ghost and attempted to have sex with him in her spectral form. So to us in 2023, this sounds a lot like a sexually repressed guy having a wet dream. But back then, it was evidence that the woman was a witch and needed to be killed. Okay, yeah. See, I mean, and and so um, when people came over from England to New England, did they bring these beliefs about paganism and witchcraft and whatever with them? Was that something that like, like kind of uh, the worry and the and the fear? Like, where, where is all that originating in Europe? Because I feel like we don't talk about that. And like, everybody I know who who makes trips to Salem in October and like whatever is really into witchcraft and like, you know, whatever. So I, we never talk about sort of like the origin of this stuff coming, coming over on the ship with the people. Right. And so is that where the origin of, of people being terrified of, of witches is coming from? They're bringing it from the, the, the homeland or what? Yes. So The colonists came over, they left England because there was disagreement about the particulars of the religion. So like if the king was saying that he was a part of God and they were like, no, only God is God. We don't believe in you. We're going to go do our own thing because we don't want to be under your power. So everyone was believing that they were right in their religion and that everyone else was wrong sound familiar. (laughs) Um, Still something we struggle with today in a lot of ways, um, which is really unfortunate. And the idea essentially in Christianity, at least, that there is one God and that's the only God and everything that is not specifically of God is evil Essentially, how that interacted with paganism is in paganism, at least in Western European paganism, one of the most uh, common deities is the horned god. Some people know him as Pan, some as Cernunos. There's a lot of these 
depictions of horned gods, like goat-headed gods, because goats were symbolic of fertility. And back in the time when we didn't have grocery stores or indoor plumbing, we needed the fertility of the crops every year to survive. We needed the fertility of the people to propitiate the species. And so naturally, the fertility god was what was worshipped. And when Christianity came in, they said, okay, we see that these people worship this kind of horned god. That's not our god. So what we're going to do is take that horned god of theirs and make it our personification of evil, and we will call it the devil. So that's how that came about um, in a very simplified way. Yeah. And so... This is why, you know, a lot of witches will work with, I know at least for me in particular, I work with uh, heathenry, which is like uh, North Scandinavian Germanic paganism, um, as well as like Irish paganism, Scottish paganism, Welsh, all of that. And so there is prominent horned gods in those cultures. And so someone who's Christian may look at me and say, oh, you're working with this God that kind of looks like the Christian devil, like, are you a devil worshiper? And in reality, they're two different things. It's apples and oranges because Satan doesn't exist in paganism. And, but at the same time, it's a very effective marketing tactic, if you will, to say anything that is not God is the devil. And so when these colonists went to New England, to America, um, Everything there was not what they were used to, whether it was the indigenous people's spirituality or the forest and all of the dangerous things in there. And so they saw this wildness as the devil, like the devil was said to be in this land. And the belief was that God challenges his most pious people and the devil tries his hardest to tempt God's most pious people. And so it was a lot of like weird sort of narcissism, elitism mixed with uh, misogyny and uh, racism and all of this kind of pushing into this sentiment of religious paranoia and sexual repression and deep adherence to these religious principles, because that was the reason they left. And that was all they had to cling on to that was familiar in this otherwise very strange land. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, the thing that you just brought up about the horned god, uh, and I kept thinking about horny horny goat weed, right? We It's like a vitamin you can take for, for like, circulation for mm-hmm. better, better sex or whatever. Like, that, I remember reading a whole thing about how that even comes from, the name of that even comes from the horned god of fertility, right? And so... I do think it's very interesting. You go on Instagram right now and there's like, you know, rocker chicks with like uh, the goat head masks, like, you know, scantily clad tattoos, like whatever the devil and it's cartoon form, right? It's like this horny, like sexual thing. Um, did, did that. And because it feels like when you see that in today's culture, the sexy devil at the Halloween co- or at the Halloween shop and and at the Halloween party and everything I just mentioned, it seems like we're doing that as like a fuck you, as like a rock on, like a rebellion, Black Sabbath kind of thing. But was the devil sort of put into this sexualized form because 
sex is bad and religion says this and you're going to hell and whatever. It, was it sort of manufactured to keep us away from sex? So if we think about the etymology of Satan, the S-A-T, we see that in Saturn, in the Egyptian god Set, who's the god of chaos and rebellion and all of that, amongst other things. Satan means the adversary. And so for, you know, simply <laughs> it mm -hmm. does. Yeah. And so we see if you've watched like, um, I think the documentary is titled Hail Satan with a question mark or something like that. And it's about the Satanic Temple, which is a non-religious organization. It's a uh, like more of a political advocacy organization. And it goes into this kind of inquiry about where did this like what is the role of Satan in like modern America? Like why, where does it come from? What's the separation of church and state, all of that. And so if we think about Satan as the adversary, we can see that in a religious sense as this is the personification of this force that is trying to pull you away from God, from religion, from you know, having a good afterlife and all of that and being a good person. Um, and if we think about it in like these extreme religious terms, it is, it starts to kind of encompass everything that is not exactly pious. And so any sort of like non-marital sex, any sort of, um, any of that. And so people start to kind of instead of seeing it as a part of ourselves where I am an autonomous being and I will naturally make mistakes and I need to take accountability for that and do better and try my best to be a good person. Instead, it kind of becomes this, again, religious paranoia of, oh, that woman isn't married. What is she possibly doing if she's not married? Maybe she's having sex with the <coughs> townsfolk and what and brewing like herbs and potions and these things that are ungodly or whatever. And it kind of rolls out of proportion quite easily, especially when people kind of have nothing else to do, but drink beer and, you know, try to survive in this cold, mm. you know, foreign world. Yeah. And then it's like, yeah, maybe she's turning into a ghost and, and jerking off all the menfolk, right? Which pisses mm -hmm. everybody off. Um, um, so, okay. Uh, it's 1693. We're in uh, New England, Salem, Massachusetts. Um, the clothing is uncomfortable. Everyone's horny, but they can't do anything about it. Um, there's not, there's not fresh water. So everyone's like pretty, you know, probably drunk or like at least buzzed um the stage is set everyone is just like itching for something to happen how does this thing start and like how fast does it get out of control so it starts with tichuba um again she was unfortunately a very easy target in the sense of she was a woman of color she you know most likely um maintained a non-Christian spirituality, or maybe she didn't. Again, we can't ask her herself. Um, but if there was any sort of 
non-Christian goings on or whatever. Um, and again, she was not a free person. Um, and so if the people who owned her, who she worked for, believed that she was doing anything suspicious, they would come for her because of it. And it kind of spiraled from there into younger girls, um, like Dorcas into, you know, women like, um, Susanna Martin and, uh, Sarah, Sarah Osborne, I think her name was, um, it's been a while since I've brushed up on this Mm -hmm. stuff, but I took a legit class on this in undergrad and that was fun. Um, and even a dog was hanged as a witch. So that's sensical. Um, and and a man named Giles Corey. Um, and so all of these, and it, the primary accusers, at least at first were young girls. Um, like if you hear Abigail, like that's a pretty uh, common name in like all of this Salem witch trial lore, Abigail, I can't remember what her last name was. Williams. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) So she, uh, was one of the, and again, there was probably many, many, but maybe only her and a couple other names survived. Um, cause all we have are the very few documents to look back on these. And so these young girls would fall to the ground and start convulsing and then say that Tichuba or whomever put a spell on them or did this with witchcraft. Or if a cow in a neighbor's yard fell over and died and, you know, the guy thought that this other woman kind of looked at him funny the other day, he'd be like, oh, well, did she put a spell on my cow and make it die? And these were real huge issues at the time, because if you only had one cow, you were kind of screwed if that cow died. And so there was a lot, it's kind of like when people have a really short fuse when they're stressed. Think about that, but like on steroids, because this was life or death for these people. And so you can see how the climate was kind of set for this to happen. And the, arguably, the sect of people with the least power and influence in Salem were the young girls because they weren't old enough to get married and have babies and do their quote unquote duties yet. And so they were basically not even people. And so the only way that they could get attention was by, they figured out was by accusing these people of witchcraft because their minds, they were hearing all of this religious stuff and they kind of took it and ran with it. So it's understandable if we look at child psychology that kids need to be paid attention to um, in order to thrive. And they will seek that attention through acting out whatever that means for the individual. And so this kind of spiraled and then the adults started in on it and pretty soon we're hanging dogs for being witches. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, that's just, I mean, come on. Um, the fact that nobody, wait, wait a minute, we can't hang the dog. Um, I, I, and like, why did they hang the dog and not the goats if they're so terrified of, of you know, goats? 
I have no idea. <laughs> I really, <laughs> right? I, you'd have to ask them. <laughs> right. Um, okay. So how fast does it jump to, we should start killing these people because if you have all of this sexual repression, all this like weird mixed religion, racism stuff, um, they like for, for whatever reason with Tichuba, they are like, okay, this is weird. She's a witch. When is it like, Hey, we need to, we, is it, we need to have a trial. And then, then they try these people one by one or as a group, because I mean, at least, and you can correct me where I'm wrong, obviously, but it, where I see it says like um, 200 people were accused of witchcraft and 19 were hung. Uh, I don't know if that includes the dog or not, but um, that's a lot of people. And so, and it says it only lasted for like a year, year and a half. Um, yeah. Th that's really out of hand fast. So, so when did they, when did the trials actually start? Was it kind of like, shut up, go away, or, oh, my God, we have a problem. <laughs> we have a witch infestation. <laughs> I think it was, so, like, 1692 is, like, the year. I believe it started in the winter of 1692, which makes sense because, you know, people especially got nothing to do in the winter. In New. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've ever, you know, you're in Chicago. I'm in New England. <laughs> we know what the winters are like yeah. when we have heat and food. So imagine if you don't have those things. Right. And so I believe into the summer of 1692 or it like ended in the summer or something like that. So yeah, several months to a couple of years or something, I'd have to brush up on the exact dates. Sure. But the try the the kind of content of the trials and the trials became this huge thing like the event people didn't have like raves and shit back then so like <laughs> the thing to do was to go to like the big witch trial on friday night with your you know your girlies girls night out to the witch trial <laughs> so <laughs> um the way that the trials would go is there there was some loose um structure to it but there was there were no human rights of like don't badger the witness like there was none of that and so it was kind of a free-for-all where if an accused person was up there and one of the little girls deci decided that she wanted some attention which like I don't want to demonize the little girls because of course like as we know of child psychology now, this is all sensical behavior. And these people were under enormous like pressure to live and survive. And so if one of these girls just fell on the floor and started convulsing and then said, well, you know, Sarah, who's up on trial, she did this to me just now. That was enough proof. Mm. And there were also, if we look back to like the Malleus Maleficarum, which is like, the 1400s, I believe, um, with this huge, like, witch hunting manual, there were these kind of signs or symptoms within it of a witch. And one of them was that a witch cannot cry. And what we know now, um, scientifically, is that if someone is under immense pressure or fear, they're unable to cry sometimes because if you think about it, if a lion is chasing you and you've got tears in your eyes, you're going to trip over a stick and die. So the body's ability to shut off tear production 
under immense stress and fear helps us survive. But in this case, they took that biological function and turned it into, if you're a witch, you can't cry. And so when these people were being tried and like seized with fear and unable to cry, that was seen as sufficient evidence. And so all of these like pseudo facts that really were not facts at all kind of coalesced into, oh, well, this means this about you. And we can see this even today where like there's a lot of confusion about like what are the facts. And if we think about like the scientific method, there's this kind of intellectual humility of we're, we never know everything. Like we might find a document from the Salem witch trials in 30 years that illuminates an entire other aspect of what happened that we don't know now. And so this is consistently evolving as is everything in science and history, but we need to do the best that we can to like take the facts and not just give into the stereotypes, if you will. Yeah. I mean, that's, well, first of all, it says, um, February, uh, 1692 to May, 1693. So yeah. Yeah. So like, like 16, 17 months, like right, right there. Mm -hmm. Um, a very short amount of time for 200 people to be accused and then to, to hang 19 of them. Was it something where it was like, and again, if you don't know, um, that's that's fine but uh because there's another point that i want to get to with that you just said that's incredibly fascinating but um was it something where they were on trial right like that day and then they would just be sentenced to to death they they were in a jail for a bit which is torture in and of itself and and some people died in the jails uh because again it was cold and if you think of like a a house in Mm. Salem in the 1690s was awful enough as it is. And so a jail in Salem in the 1690s was like unlivable. And so unless you were a very um, resilient individual physically and emotionally, like a lot of people died in there. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and the other part that you said, uh, because if 19 people were hung, right. Uh, 200 people were accused again, like we don't know a hundred percent, like it's not all like hard facts. And if people died in the jail, like that's more, more death. I mean, primarily almost all women. Right. So it's like this big, huge thing where it's mainly women that are being put to death. And also you said it was evolving and we're, we're continually finding more stuff and more evidence. I mean, in my research for, and again, I'm not the uh, celebrated, brilliant researcher that you are, believe me, um, just like podcast research and like fascination research and, and things that, 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 I, that I watched and, and read. And, and again, it's the internet people, so forgive me. But, you know, I did come across a lot of statements that certain like dudes that wanted to like bang chicks that they those women wouldn't have sex with these men so these men would say oh she came to me in a dream and they would sort of make these things up and then that person would be put on trial and women would that were threatened by other women and you know maybe jealous of other women they would you know say this person is a witch i saw her in the woods with that dog or or whatever brewing a Mm -hmm. potion whatever and so it became this sort of you could 
have your enemies like killed for free kind of a thing. And a lot of it um, uh, seemed to, to me to be wrapped around this like, you know, this horniness and this jealousy and this whatever um, in our talks, like offline, you said you didn't really know of a lot of evidence like that, but it's possible. Right. And that's the thing is like, we don't have, there was not the ability to speak the way that there is now. Like I could go on Instagram and speak my opinion on anything and anyone could screenshot it and keep it forever and say, oh, okay, this is Gwen's perspective on this matter. Mm -hmm. They didn't have that back then. And so absolutely Mm -hmm. there could have been like, if, you know, Thomas was having an affair with Sarah and Susanna found out about it and was really mad, like, Of course, if someone was like an elder unmarried woman and was kind of grouchy and not a lot of people liked her, that could be, you know, enough to be like, oh, well, we don't like her. You know, she she's kind of mean, like she must be a witch. There was also other like physical things. Um, So like the witch's teat, for example, Mm -hmm. T-E-E-T, if anyone had a kind of abnormal blemish or birthmark or whatever that was seen as basically their third nipple that the devil would suckle upon. And it's like, this person literally just has a mole. It's not the devil. (laughs) But again, at that time, I don't know who came up with that, but it's like, it's like the equivalent of, you know, some person on witch talk spreading some misinformation and then everyone latches onto it. We have no idea where it came from, if it has any basis in reality or not, but if enough people latch onto it, it starts to become real, you know? Yeah. Um, Well, and, and so if all of these people are put to death, you know, do people start leaving Salem or was it just like, uh, it's kind of rough to move around uh, and, and, and like, you know, my wheel is busted. I, I'm not going to the next village anyway. There's, there's people in the woods that might kill me for, for whatever. Was it too dangerous to leave or was like, cause I feel like, and again, this is 1693 at this point, but when shit gets bad, I feel like you know, why is anybody living in Gotham City, right? Like, wouldn't you just move <laughs> at some point? Like, so were people yeah. leaving or were they just ha- hanging around hoping for the best? I don't think that, I mean, I would have to look. I, I've never sure. heard specifically, but so there was kind of, it wasn't just so Salem. Uh, there was like Salem and then there was like Salem Village or like the kind of port city of Salem, um, which is what we know as Salem, which city today. And then there was the other Salem, which is modern day Danvers, Massachusetts. And so it wasn't just specific to one singular area. Mm. It was kind of a little spread out and it's kind of a similar question as we would ask of like any city that has had enough bad things happen. Why don't people just leave? Sure. And we can look at that in a lot of the current events that are going on now and that have gone on. I'm sure some people would leave, 
But for whatever reason, whether it's socioeconomic status or relatives or whatever the case may be, it's not that easy for people to just leave, if that makes sense. No, yeah. And that's why I asked that. That's one of those questions that I just kind of fired out there because mm-hmm. I feel like people would would want to know, like, okay, if this is that bad. What if I get accused and da-da-da? Like, personally, for me, if I'm living in Gotham City, like – I'm hanging around. I want to see what Catwoman steals next. Like, I don't give a mm-hmm. shit. Like, it's interesting to me. I think the vibe is, is, is cool, but I just, I'm trying to paint this picture because my next question is how did this all stop? Why uh, were they like, okay, we got them all. We hung all the witches. We're done. Um, we've cleansed the area. What, what was the event or idea? Was it the law? Was it, did, the ghosts stop coming and sucking off the men at night or what? I think at some point, again, I, w- I would have to look into this, but I think at some point it kind of just the frenzy calmed down and kind of like, I hate to say it this way, but like a lot of uh, social trends, we kind of just get over them at some mm. point. And again, this was a very like flash in the pan sweep of things. And so I think that as whether it was people starting to realize that, you know, the girls were kind of just doing this for fun, for attention, or whether it was like, whoa, this is getting out of hand because you just accused my mom or, you know, a noble aunt of mine or whatever, it kind of, there was a realization that like, this ain't it, you know, we gotta, we gotta stop this. (laughs) And I want to say that the fervence, fervency, like how passionate people were that like, I am not a witch. Like, why are you saying this? Mm -hmm. Um, I want to say that that helped influence this realization of like, oh, we really are just being paranoid. But again, we're not sure because the women themselves, again, they either, you know, if they did speak on it, maybe it wasn't written down. So like there's so much dialogue that could have happened that if, you know, Increase Mather and Cotton Mather didn't write it down, then we don't have it. Um, sure. And or if there was pressure or fear of retaliation, if someone spoke out, then naturally they wouldn't, whether it was social retaliation or religious retaliation. So at some point, and again, like there's so many books written about this where we can really get into like the nitty gritty of what people have found, like not arch- I'm trying to think what is the archaeology I was like architecture <laughs> agriculture archaeology <laughs> and yeah. reading through the documents themselves like reading discovery of the devil by I think that was by Cotton Mather and his father Increase Mather wrote a lot of um documents on this as well and really getting into their minds of like what what like what was going yeah. on in your mind and we see this in Like I just watched Children of the Corn the other last night and recognizing it as kind of a religious commentary on how ridiculous some of this stuff is. And the realization that like, ideally religion should be based on love and compassion and not on these 
sometimes ridiculous and nonsensical rules that really end up harming people more than they help people. So it all connects. Yeah, no, it, it, it does. That's exactly why I wanted to to do this episode because I just think it, <clears throat> there's a lot of, and these next couple of questions, I think we'll, we'll, we'll get into that because we're getting towards the end of the episode, but I think it does all connect and, and it, and, and there is a, a through line of, of repression and, and, and sexual repression and, and religious persecution and, and all of that I think is still connecting to this day. I mean, I run a podcast called sex party and people, and yes, we do talk about sex parties and, and all of the things, but like the amount of religious psychopaths in my comments and my dms is something that i don't think i would ever have been uh really like ready for when i started this show and so it's like to me that this is a a, a reverse mirror or a mirror backs of to that and because people just go bonkers as soon as you bring up religion there's now there's three other dudes who can't get laid that are screaming about god in the in the comments um and on that tip right like okay so same question but i'd like you to answer it one like as a witch right what is the most fascinating and or terrifying thing from your from your witch sensibility uh, about the salem witch trials Oh boy. I would, I would say from my, this comes from my witch self and my scientist self. Okay. Uh, the lack of empirical evidence. So for non academics, empirical evidence is basically observable, measurable, real, if you will, things. So when people make claims, they need to be backed up by the research by the evidence. And the concern that I have as a witch, as a scientist, all of that is that oftentimes the spiritual, emotional, or any sort of non-scientific self can take over. And that emotional appeal can be really beautiful in the sense of, wow, this poem really struck a chord within me and makes me happy. And it can be really destructive in the sense of, well, I was raised to believe that witches are bad. So, or insert any group of people. And we can see this all throughout the world, all throughout history. I was raised to believe that this type of person is bad or not a person, if you will. So I'm not going to treat them like a person. I'm not going to treat them with dignity, respect, compassion. And that's the thing that concerns me the most is if we judge people on their labels as opposed to their actions and their virtues and the integrity of their character, then we really start to see some people not as people and treat them not as people and not as equals. And that's the thing that concerns me the most is when there was no evidence, no real evidence that these people were witches. And even if they were, what makes witches bad? Do they really consort with the devil? Have you ever really seen it? And again, that's not a measurable thing. And so the fact that it got so out of hand and that emotions were so high to people's detriment 
is something that really concerned me. And I think that that lack of of empirical objective evidence and facts, and also the emphasis on emotions and not treating people like people is something that we see all over the world that was just really exemplified by the witch trials. Yeah. And it's, it's, again, it's just, it's like, it's happening in the same, yeah, different forms all over the world still to this day, not just like with witches, but like with people who are different. Um, like the, like I, you know, the guys I was just making fun of in, in the comments and in the, in the DMS, right? Like they're annoying. Um, but it's, they're just so that they believe what they believe. And that's it. Like you said before, um, from your scientific brain, well, from both your brains, right? What What do you think is the answer? What is the to, to learning these lessons that we just talked about today on the show, seeing what's going on in the world today and like how unfortunate, like you said before too, what would you recommend, right? Like how do we, how do we save the world, Gwen? Well, <laughs> tall order, <laughs> but I would say, curiosity and compassion or curious compassion, if you will, and also intellectual humility. So instead of seeing something like we need to categorize things in order to survive, we as a survival tactic need to identify that's a bear. It could eat me. It's dangerous versus that's my mom. She's most likely not dangerous. And at the same time, categorization can also really be to our detriment. And so I think that instead of seeing someone who's different and saying they're different, therefore they are bad. Again, sometimes if you see a stranger on the subway, like you don't have to go up to them and ask them who they are and how they're doing. Like sometimes it is safer to just keep to yourself. <laughs> but instead of acting harmfully towards someone, being curious and saying, oh, well, what is it that you believe? What's important to you? What do you value and why? And when we inquire on that level and we're open-minded to what people have to say, we'll often find that there's a lot of universals, like, you know, certain Roman Catholics, like my mother and people, other people I know, they worship their God because it makes them feel connected to a higher power and it gives them a sense of purpose and passion in their lives. And for me, like I still, you know, believe in and honor Jesus and mother Mary and everything. I also work with the Morrigan and, you know, Thor and Lord Hades and all of those people, people, gods. <laughs> and it's because it gives me that sense of connection, purpose, and passion. And so same things, just slightly different details. And those details are what cause this schism between the English and New England religious paths and these differences, like minute differences cause these huge schisms. So I think that being open-minded and being tolerant of, okay, if this person is not actively harming themselves or others, maybe they're okay. And again, that's a very simplified uh, treatment plan for a very diverse set of diagnoses of what's wrong with the world. But that's a starting point, at least. 
No, and it's a it's a it's a very brilliant. I think that fact that it is simple is why it's so brilliant. And so I, I I thank you for that final question because they'll hang me if I don't ask this. Right? Um, do we know if there are any descendants from the Salem witch trials that survived that that are alive today? Yeah, there absolutely are. Um, one of the elders in my witch's circle from when I lived in Maine was a descendant of Susanna Martin, and she would go, you know, put flowers at Susanna's marking at the memorial site in Salem. Whenever I would go, I would visit Susanna for her and pay my respects. Um, and so people will either know because that's a thing that's been passed down through their family or if they do like ancestry and find out that way. But absolutely, there are people who are descendants. And it's important to keep in mind that like these people were not by and large witches. These were regular people who were most likely Calvinists who were trying their best to live their lives and who, unfortunately, their fates and their stories were written not by them, but by the people in power who were likely accusing them. So, unfortunately, unless we find some other accounts, like diaries and letters, which I think there are some, but those are the only ways that we can get a window into what these people were really like. Otherwise, it's kind of whatever Cotton Mather's thoughts on the matter were. And <laughs> considering he called one of them the queen of hell, mm. most likely not very nice thoughts. Yeah, no. Um, the Well, interesting. So the descendant uh, of someone who survived that you just talked about, she herself is a witch. Mm-hmm. See, that's like, what a cliffhanger to leave this thing on. So perfect. Gwen Walsh, <laughs> thank you so much for being uh, on Sex Party again. Let's remind these witchy, curious, lovely, party-going people where they can find you, hang out with you, uh, give you money so you could read their cards for them. Sure. So I mostly exist on Instagram. My Instagram is at Gwen Walsh. It's the, unfortunately, I've had to pay to be verified because of all the ridiculous fakes out there. So just look for the one with the blue check. That's me. Uh, none, of, none of the other ones are. <laughs> and in terms of working with me, um, you can, of course, book a tarot reading with me. Um, October, November, December, January is one of my favorite times of the year to give readings because it's such a special time between Samhain and the new year. And I also have a sexuality and spirituality course. I have a course on learning how to read tarot. Um, and I also do one-on-one -on -one educational consultations. So if you have any questions on whether it's sex or spirituality, figuring out your path with either one or both of those, you can book that with me as well amazing thank you so much they'll see you again i have i've got a strong feeling it's you know i won't give anything else away but you'll be back right <laughs> but, i hope so but thank you so much for being here thank you as well bye everyone big thank you to gwen walsh for joining me once again on the show Go work with her. Go check out everything she is doing. Uh, if you want to see Gwen again, if you 
want more sex party. You're appreciating these episodes. You're loving them every Wednesday. How can you show that love, that appreciation, that desire for more? Well, if you're listening on platforms like Apple, Spotify, Amazon, Google, you can leave a rating. You can leave a review. You know, you could subscribe. That's really the most important thing is subscribe to the show so you never miss a weekly episode or a special. There's a certain special right around the corner. Don't want to miss it. If you're watching on YouTube, <gasps> oh no! If you're watching on YouTube, I love you. I see you. I appreciate you. If you're watching on YouTube, you could subscribe to the channel. You could like this video. You could like all of the videos. You could leave comments on everything. You could reach out to me in the DMs on Instagram, and I will see you right back here next week. Thanks for listening. The party continues next week. Click subscribe and let's make this a regular thing. Follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at SexPartyFM. Follow Dustin at Dustin Ribka.